Hello folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Federalist Files. On today's show we're going to be doing Federalist number 80. It is titled The Powers of the Judiciary, written by Alexander Hamilton, June 21st, 1788. Now just keep in mind, this is the same date that the Constitution was ratified uh, by nine of the 13 states. So every single one of these uh, Federalist papers came out into a different uh, depending, usually it was a New York newspaper. I don't know specifically, it'll tell, hold on, there's a site where I have it where they'll tell you each individual one. This one came out of, uh, from McLean's edition in New York. I'm not sure exactly what that is, probably a newspaper that's not around anymore. But each one would come out of different newspapers. I'm trying to find, the New York Packet was one of them that it constantly came out of very often the independent journal. So there was a couple different newspapers that they would allocate uh, these papers to. So yes, once again, same date as the Constitution was ratified, nine out of 13 states to do so. Uh, topics include on this paper instances of federal ju judicial jurisdiction and why that authority should be given to the federal judiciary. Okay, so this paper in general, uh, it deals much more with the the foundational jurisdiction of the federal judiciary so what is it that the federal judiciary specifically will be dealing with uh, what is under their jurisdiction so it starts off it states and i quote to judge with accuracy of the proper extent of the federal judicature it will be necessary to consider in the first place what are its proper objects Okay, so that's pretty much the, the question here that's going to be answered during this paper is what are the proper objects of the federal judiciary? What specifically is their job? Uh, he explains six different instances, and it's really like seven different instances. I think the sixth one is broken into two parts, but I'm just going to just keep it simple. Six different instances of federal uh, judicial authority in this paper. The first three instances are all somewhat related, so I'm going to go through those first three first, I'm going to state them, and then I'm going to go through four, five, and six, and then I'll explain the reasoning behind all of this. So, the first three I have here first, and this is directly from the Federalist Paper number 80, uh, and I'm quoting here, first, to all those which arise out of the laws of the United States passed in pursuance of their just and constitutional powers of legislation, second, to all those who, which concern the execution of the provisions expressly contained in the Articles of the Union. Third, uh, to all those in which the United States are a party. End quote. So, point one, uh, Hamilton, he simply, he simply explains, he states, and I quote, that there ought always to be a constitutional method of giving efficacy to constitutional provisions. And now, that, now the, first, the very first one is... Um, is to all those which arise out of the laws of the United States passed in pursuance of their just and constitutional powers of legislation. So essentially just all laws that are of the United States, meaning the constitutional powers and provisions that is under the jurisdiction of the um, federal uh, judiciary, which, which is obvious. I mean, that's just kind of a given. So next, Hamilton, he kind of goes on to explain how some of these states, and this is really the laws of legislation, in the Constitution and how the states don't have the power to make any any uh, law that conflicts with the Constitution. He states, and I quote, The states, by the plan of the Convention, are prohibited from doing a variety of things, some of which are incompatible with the interests of the Union and others with the principles of good government. 
The imposition of duties on imported articles and the emission of paper money are specimens of each kind. No man of sense will believe that such pro prohibitions would be scru scrupulously regarded without some effectual power in the government to restrain or correct the infractions of them. This power must either be a direct negative on the state laws or an authority in the federal courts to overrule such as might be in manifest uh, contravention of the Articles of, of Union. So now in this, this is another argument uh, that he's making here and the, the constitutional authority, uh, having, having the authority to enforce the constitution really is what this means. And this is also for self-preservation reasons. You can't have state governments going out and doing things that are against the federal constitution because then we're really just not a, uh, we're no longer a union. So Hamilton uses the example of the federal government to lay impositions and duties as well on imported articles that this power is to be utilized by the federal government only uh, and cannot be superseded by state governments. Essentially, states cannot make provisions that are incompatible with the laws and interests of the Union and Constitution. The second principle is derived from the necessity for uniformity throughout the United States in terms of national law. So yes, I mean, this is just pretty simple stuff. We've kind of gone over that before. And of the second point, this is this is what he states. And I'm quoting here, and the second point, once again, is um, it's to all those which concern the execution of the provisions expressly contained in the Articles of the Union. So pretty much anything having to do with the Articles of the Union is in the Constitution and the execution thereof states, and I quote, the mere necessity of uniformity in the interpretation of the national laws decides the question. Thirteen independent courts of final jurisdiction over the same causes arising upon the same laws is a hydra in government from which nothing but contradiction and confusion can proceed, end quote. So, so what he's really just, um, more importantly, what he's saying, if you have 13 different uh, states at this time, you have 13 different states with 13 different judiciary branches, how are you going to have them interpret all different laws and in independent courts? That's the reason that we have uh, the federal judiciary to look at the Constitution and interpret it. If you're having state governments interpret the Constitution or state uh, state judiciaries interpreting the Constitution, then you're going to run into some serious problems because not everybody has the same uh, same laws. It's not uniform across the board, which is the reason why we have a federal government, then we have the state government, all, all that good stuff. So the third principle, which he, he stated before, was to all in the all those in which the United States are a party, and this is kind of related to foreign relations, uh, foreign nation states. So he refers to the third principle, he states, and I quote, controversies between the nation and its members or citizens. Any other plan would be contrary to reason, to precedent, and to decorum, end quote. So he's kind of going to, he's going to go on still to explain uh the first three interests, the first three instances, uh, pertain mostly to the federal power being superior to the states in terms of the Constitution. So, overstepping by states or citizens will go to the federal judiciary. So, this is where he states with where the third reason, or rather, I'm sorry, the fourth reason. And this one's the one that I was talking about before, the United States and foreign nations. I apologize. I'm kind of getting them a little mixed up because they're all kind of somewhat related in a way. Um, yeah, so, okay, so the fourth 
Here he states, and I quote, and this is what the fourth one is. Fourth, to all those which involve the peace of the Confederacy, whether they relate to the intercourse between the United States and foreign nations or to that between the states themselves. Uh, so yes, this is anything that's related to foreign relations as well as conflicts between the states because you can't have... If you have a conflict between, let's say, New Jersey and New York, you can't have a New Jersey court do it because they're going to be a little bit more partial. They're going to be biased to the case. So you kind of have to have the federal judiciary handle handle any um, conflict between the two different states. And obviously because the federal government on a world stage represents the people here uh, in foreign relations, you would have them also deal with foreign nations as well in the, in the uh, federal judiciary. So this is to counteract the infighting between states that would be in violation of the Constitution and is salutary to the pursuance of uh, stability in the Union. Most importantly, to handle unjust sentences of foreigners, which uh, Hamilton characterizes, and this is kind of interesting. So he's talking about unjust sentences of foreigners and the problems that you could have with that. States, and I quote, The Union will undoubtedly be answerable to foreign powers for the conduct of its members. And the responsibility for an injury ought ever to be accompanied with the faculty of preventing it as the denial or perversion of justice by the sentences of courts, as well as in any other manner, is with reason classed among the just causes of war. It will follow that the federal judiciary ought to have cognizance of, of all causes in which the citizens of other countries are concerned, end quote. So yeah, if you have a foreign national coming to our country that commits some sort of a crime, you're going to have the federal judiciary handle that problem. And the reason for that is actually being, uh, you have to answer foreign powers and you have to keep good relations with them, which I thought was very interesting, especially this time because the United States was a developing like third world nation, I guess you would call it at that time. So they were actually worried about pissing off other countries, whereas now, I don't really know if America, I mean, America has these weird things at the UN, they give a bunch of money to the WHO, they do things like that, and I don't think that's because they're afraid of pissing off foreign nations, I just think it's because uh, we're a globalist, we're pretty much becoming a globalist nation, following in the footsteps of like a China, or what have you. So this refers to foreign treaties and relations as well, which do impose themselves on the lives of citizens, used as a method for terminating territorial disputes between the states of the Union, fraudulent laws that are passed in the states that disturb the harmony between the states and their citizens are considered proper objects of federal superintendence and control. So there's a couple of different things that this specific um, object falls under, this fourth one here. So he's going to go on to state what I just stated there, but in his own words, he states, and I quote, it will be readily, it will readily be conjectured that I allude to the fraudulent laws which have been passed in too many of the states. And though this, the proposed constitution establishes particular guards against the repetition of those instances, which have heretofore made their appearance, yet it is warrantable to apprehend that the spirit which produced them will assume new shapes that could not be foreseen nor specifically provided against. Whatever practices may have a tendency to disturb the harmony between the states are proper objects of federal superintendence and control. Very interesting. Uh, what he states here. So, yeah, really, fraudulent laws is in there. They're conflicting with the people's rights and their freedoms, liberties, or they're conflicting with the Constitution. I think that's what he's referring to when he states that. And he says we can't really, we're going to keep it very broad because we can't at this time 
be able to specify what specifically these objects are going to be because we, we don't really know. So we're kind of just going to keep a broad superintendent's power on it, which makes sense. So it goes on next to state, and this is uh, still relating to the exact same topic. He kind of goes in on this one. It's, it's one of the most important objects of the uh, federal judiciary. So next he states, and I quote, it may be esteemed the basis of the union that the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens of the several states. And if it be a just principle that every government ought to possess the means of executing its own provisions by its own authority, it will follow that in order to the inviolable maintenance of that equality of privileges and immunities to which the citizens of the union will be entitled the national judiciary ought to preside in all cases in which one state or its citizens are opposed to another state or its citizens and quote so what he's referring to specifically here is issues with land um is one thing and the other one is immunities or privileges that you have in one state so uh, for example if you have like a concealed carry permit let's say in um utah and you try to bring it into another state, I think that would kind of have something to do with it, even though those laws are now in the books. At that time, they probably weren't, and they had to go through the federal judiciary to kind of uh, solidify some sort of case law and some sort of precedent. Uh, I think that's what he's referring to in this one. It's very interesting uh, how how they were so worried about conflicts between states, and obviously territorial disputes was, was the other reason for this one. That was kind of the most important and most prevalent one. Uh, so, so next he states, and I quote, to secure the full effect of so fundamental a provision against all evasion and subterfuge, it is necessary that its con construction should be committed to that tribunal, which having no local attachments will be likely to be impartial between the different states and their citizens and which owing its official existence to the union will never be likely to feel any bias inauspicious to the principles on which it is founded, end quote. So yeah, since the federal judiciary is going to be loyal to the union, they're not going to be loyal to a specific state government, so they're seen as a impartial, uh, an impartial, I guess, arbitrator of these type of cases uh, that would be between different states, and they have no local attachments, as he, as he stated, to different states or citizens, rather than have a state judiciary handle it. So next it goes on to state the fifth one here. So the fifth, and I'm quoting here, to all those which originate on the high seas and are of admiralty or maritime jurisdiction, and lastly, to all those in which the state tribunals cannot be supposed to be impartial and unbiased, end quote. Yeah, so this is kind of, once again, the same thing with the whole state tribunal thing. So this object of authorities for maritime law... Uh, considering it deals with international issues and doesn't hold a specific jurisdiction, this is to be the, jur the jurisdiction and authority of the federal judiciary. So if there's some sort of maritime law, maritime issues, uh, things at sea, in other words, with your with your boats. You know, federal, having a, having a navy was like one of the, and it still is to this day, strong countries have really good navies. Uh, it's always been that way throughout history, throughout, as soon as people can sail which would be probably the uh, Nordic countries, the Vikings. They first created, I think, the biggest boats and ships, the most adequate ones. And so it's always been this weird thing is having, having a navy, an effective navy is always also kind of coincided with having an effective country or being a stronger nation and having more power. So yeah, this was related. And, and there's in the Constitution, if you notice too as well, 
I'm pretty sure there's no establishment of an army. There's like the militia. There's no establishment specifically of obviously not the Marine Corps, not the army, but there's there is an establishment of the Navy, and I think that's important. That shows how pow, how powerful it was a gauge of power that your country had, uh, if they had an effective Navy or not at this time. So yeah, this the federal just to kind of go off this this fifth this fifth uh, object of the judicial power the federal judicial power maritime law okay so if i'm in new jersey and in the atlantic ocean right next to us there's some sort of issue with a foreign country or not even a foreign country but rather a new yorker wants to dock his boat or something and then a new jersey and wants to dock his boat i think this was uh, i can't remember the case this happened I think it was in New York, and it had something to do with paying taxes on a on a docking fee. It was like a big federal case, and it showed that that is of the federal judiciary uh, authority more than it is of a state court, which obviously, because it's written into the Constitution, because there's no land there is the first thing, and the second thing is uh, you want an impartial you want an impartial court to handle this rather than the New York court, uh, which is he's kind of getting at here. So Hamilton he explains, and, and I'm quoting here. The most bigoted idolizers of state authority have not thus far shown a disposition to deny the national judiciary the cognizances of maritime causes. These so generally depend on the laws of nations and so commonly affect the rights of foreigners that they fall within the considerations which are relative to the public peace. The most important part of them are by the present confederation submitted to federal jurisdiction. End quote. Yeah. So that's going to be a federal power, especially because your maritime causes could have something to do with other foreign powers. So it goes on next to state, and I quote, uh, Lastly, to all those in which the state tribunals cannot be supposed to be impartial and unbiased. Now that's the final instance. Uh, he asserts, and I'm quoting, The reasonableness of this of the agency of the national courts in cases in which the state tribunals cannot be supposed to be impartial speaks for itself. So it's pretty, uh, it's self-explanatory, uh, it's self-evident. It deals mostly with land disputes between claims of land under grants of different states. Hamilton, he claims that it would be unreasonable to imagine uh, that a judge inhabiting the state in the, inhabiting, uh, living in the state in the case of land dispute would be impartial of his own interest or bias. So this is actually the very, uh, he goes on to actually state all of this talking about the national courts and, and this, and it's, it's very, this is where he goes on like a full on paragraph. And I felt like it was very necessary to quote, this may be the longest quote I've ever read off. I think it's very necessary because it's the foundation of this, of this article of this paper is that the federal jurisdiction is going to be much more unbiased than the state tribunal would be if it's some sort of conflict between the two uh, different states. So he states, and I quote, The reasonableness of the agency of the national courts in cases in which the state tribunals cannot be supposed to be impartial can uh, speaks for itself. No man ought certainly to be a judge in his own cause or in any cause in respect to which he has the least interest or bias. This principle has no inconsiderable weight in designating the federal courts as the proper tribunals for the determination of controversies between different states and their citizens, and it ought to have the same operation in regard to some cases between citizens of the same state. Claims to land under grants of different states founded upon adverse pretensions of boundary are of this description. 
the courts of neither of the granting states could be expected to be unbiased. The laws may have even prejudged the question and tied the courts down to decisions in favor of the grants of the state to which they belonged. And even where this had not been done, it would be natural that the judges as men should feel a strong predilection to the claims of their own government. End quote. So yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, people that are judges of their specific states are going to have a predilection to their own government, to their own state. Uh, they're not going to be unbiased actors. That's really it. That's not that. It's not that uh, hard to explain and understand. So, after discussing these six prin- principles in their totality, Hamilton wraps up and defines them by asserting, and I'm quoting here: "All cases in law and equity arising." Oh, so this is this is specifically the provision that is in the Constitution talking about the power of the federal judiciary. So this is what it states, and I quote: "All cases in law and equity arising under the Constitution, the laws of the United States." and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states, between a state and citizens of another state, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands and grants, of different states, and between a state or citizens thereof, and foreign states, citizens, and subjects, end quote. So yes, this is the mass jurisdiction of the federal judiciary in its entirety. Uh, the proper, the objects were displayed throughout this entire paper, and really, if you have a problem kind of understanding it, the best way to understand it is if it's if it is interconflict between states as well as citizens, so like I said, if I have a gun permit, a concealed carry permit that's valid in Utah and I try to bring it to, to New Jersey and there's some sort of problem there, that would go to the federal judiciary because that's between a citizen from an, another state. Um, anything having to do with maritime, which which is pretty simple because you would think it's out in the middle of the ocean or it's in a water which isn't claimed by a specific state, so it's not really of a state jurisdiction or a state court. And any interconflict between the states, like I said before, and then obviously any interconflict or any conflict, international conflict with another foreign nation. So that's pretty. This that that to me is like. So I guess it's like a three step. It's you know you got one between the different foreign nations two between different states uh, and citizens of other states. And then what was the third one? Oh, maritime and admiralty. And that's that's really, that's the simplest way that I could put it, uh, what the proper objects of the federal judiciary are. So next, Hamilton, he goes through uh, every single power and how they pertain to the six principles provided, which I'm not going to state because I went pretty deep into it in this one, and I'm surprised I was able to actually... Uh, get it done in a reasonable amount of time. I thought it would take me a little bit longer. So he concludes, and this is a very last quote, he states, and I quote, If some partial inconveniences should appear to be connected with the incorporation of any of them into the plan, it ought to be recollected that the national legislature will have ample authority to make such exceptions and to prescribe such regulations as will be calculated to obviate or remove these inconveniences, end quote. So yeah, if if there's some sort of problem with the way in which it was being done, uh, if there's any inconveniences with the plan, which is interesting, because it's not saying if there's anything incorrect with the plan, it's saying if there's any inconveniences making things a little bit more difficult, that there could be an incorporation of the national legislature 
uh, in an attempt to try to make such exceptions and to prescribe such regulations as will be calculated to obviate or remove these inconveniences. So that's kind of interesting. And I'm sure that some Democrat politicians, because they're tyrants and a lot of establishment Republicans, would take this specific indictment here, or this statement as an indictment uh, towards having the legislative authority just do whatever they want to the court system and the federal court system, which just isn't the truth. This is interesting. This this one part is it's not convoluted, but it's kind of a not a broad statement. It's more specific, saying if there's some partial inconveniences, but he's not saying if if there's anything here that is a problem, then it's no longer the objects. It's no longer an object or a jurisdiction of the federal courts. It's more saying if there's any inconveniences, we can have the legislative branch kind of do what they have to do to make things easier, which has nothing to do with uh, the jurisdiction of the federal judiciary. I just thought it was interesting that he mentioned that at the very end. So yeah, that's that's really it. And so so like the legislative authority, the power that they did did have was to uh, to change how many federal Supreme Court justices there were. There's certain things with the way in which, and actually this kind of does make sense, any partial inconveniences. So this opens up the federal, the federal legislature. This opens up their ability to, um, to change, not the code, but more the procedure in a way in which the judiciary is done, the way in which they do their, their method of operation. It changes that. So that actually makes sense that this is in here. Because to give the legislative power, let's like I said, they could change the Supreme Court justices. Let's say in the uh, judiciary branch, there's some sort of issues in their method of operation where they do this first, then maybe they could change the procedure around just to make things a little easier, make it work a little faster, a little bit more efficient. So I think this is what this is referring to. It's not referring to anything like you could take away and strip the judicial branch of their power if the uh, legislative authority thinks so. And that's just not the case. I mean, there's nothing here pointing to that, giving them that much power. So, yes, I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in, as always. That will conclude this one. I'm going to have Federalist number 81 next. I'm not exactly sure what that one is specifically about. Take a look right now, actually, just because we have time. I know it's about the judiciary branch, but I'm trying to uh, recollect right now. The judiciary continued the distribution of the authority. Okay, so this is actually going to go through, and this was really, really long, it's going to go through uh, the federal court system, how it's going to work, some of the uh, the subsects, I guess the the superior court, which is obviously going to be the Supreme Court, and then everything below that. So we're going to kind of go through that, I guess, in this next one. And then I think it, it, it explains state courts maybe a little bit, but it's probably mostly federal. That one's definitely going to be interesting for sure. Uh, I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in. As always, please like, share, subscribe, drop the mic, let people know about the podcast. We're kind of coming to a very end on these Federalist Paper podcasts, which is which is kind of nice because I do need, I definitely need a break. Um, but we're going to continue to do the current events. We're going to, I'm thinking about moving the current event instead. Once we're done with all of these, moving it to like a Wednesday, the one in the middle, the slap dab in the middle of the week uh, on like a Wednesday night, it would probably be released. And then on Saturday night still, we would have the uh, weekend special just to kind of even it out in the middle of the week. I'd rather have it that way, I think, than have it on the Tuesday just because the news cycle isn't really fully out yet. And I think giving that extra day and rather having it on the Wednesday would be better. 
uh, for the news cycle for for you listeners viewers if any of you guys have any questions or comments any uh criticisms anything that i could do better i would greatly appreciate if you can uh you can email it to me it's the federalist files at, at gmail.com it'll be in the uh, show notes below it'll be in the description of this video so yeah i greatly appreciate everybody and i will see you all next time thank you